change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we have a lot of stuff to get into this week, but we are going to start with maybe one of the biggest news stories in the history of sports and entertainment, and that is Vince McMahon retiring as CEO, chairman, creative director of WWE. Obviously, no one is going to want us to spend 15 minutes a year talking about wrestling, but I will tie this into the CFL, I promise. But just quickly, Mike, when you heard the news that Vince was leaving WWE, what did you think? Well, I was a little bit shocked because the word on Vince McMahon is he's a complete workaholic. You know, he doesn't even sleep, really. You know, three hours a night type of deal. His whole life has been WWE, um, which is kind of ironic because he is embarrassed to own a wrestling company. He won't even mm. call it wrestling. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I was pretty shocked. I know that there's a lot of crap going around. You know, there's a lot of stuff in his life um negative stuff that's happening right now so that probably had a big uh part in it but it, it is surprising because i thought he would be working until until he passed away yeah this was one of those things that you knew just based on his age that we would see in our lifetimes but yet when it happened it was still something where you're like i can't believe this is happening you know what i mean like you knew vince was going to not be in charge one day but you just never expect that day to come. Like, I just keep thinking of like, you're, I'm not, Vince was not a hero of mine. Don't get me wrong. But like a lot of my childhood was based around the things that Vince created. And the allegations that have come out recently are obviously abhorrent. And clearly he is not a very good person. That should come as a surprise to almost nobody who actually watches the product and knows anything about Vince McMahon. But he was, he's, he built sort of, and, and yeah, I guess you do a certain extent, too, because we're around the same age, kind of built our childhoods with 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 Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior and the Macho Man. So it's still like you get older and, and these these people from your past that that sort of built you into the person you are today. Once they you usually it's them dying. That's like, holy crap. Like I, I can't like there's been so many actors recently. Ray Liotta passed away. Tony Sirico, who was on The Sopranos, which is a show I love, just recently passed away. And then yesterday, Paul Sorvino, like all these sort of like titanic actors from film and television to pass away so like vince leaving it's one of those things that just you, you never you never thought you'd see so but this is where i'm, I'm going to tie into the cfl so like vince this this leaving is like this like i said one of these things that you knew would happen one day but you never thought you would actually see the day like one of those moments is there a cfl equivalent for this like take away the reasons for vince leaving because it's clearly has a lot to do with the allegations against him but is there some sort of like monumental, earth-shattering, unbelievable event that could occur within like the CFL community where you would have this same reaction that you had when you heard Vince was stepping down? Like, is there anything out there that you can think of that would uh, yeah. make you go, I never thought I'd see this? Uh, the Argonauts selling out a game. That's what I, I never <laughs> thought I'd see. Like, it's just like, oh. 
Wow. I'm sorry, but it's like, uh, can True. you imagine that happening without like, yeah. like a regular season game, like Toronto against Winnipeg or something like that? Like, could you imagine seeing that? I can't. No, that that I was I was thinking even like merging with the National Football League. Yeah, like they make, they make yeah. one league. Like that would that would be like, are you what? Yeah. Like I remember how that everyone reacted to the XFL stuff. Imagine if it was the NFL that they were being sub because that's again that and there's not it's not as if there's not like precedence for this the nfl absorbed the afl the nba absorbed the aba like now granted this was in the 60s and 70s but still at the same time you're just kind of like that would be sort of the huh if i saw the headline sort of thing but the argument that would be a massive that would be a massive huh just because of all the uh differences in the game right i mean the aba and the nba yeah there were some different rules but it was basketball right same with AFL, the NFL. Yeah. Football. Yeah. Exactly. This would be, so that would be a so, big whoa. I didn't, I didn't think you'd go there, but that actually, that would be one of those ones if you, like, I mean, could you, like, I think people's jaws would drop if it was announced, hey, the Argos sold 20,000 tickets mm, to this week's mm-hmm. game against whomever they're playing. That wasn't Hamilton. Like, I think that the games against the Ticats, even though they're not as well attended as they used to be, I think you expect those ones to be in the the high teens, you know, your 16, 17, 18,000s. Right. It, it'd be like you said, you used Winnipeg. Like, imagine if it, like, Ottawa and Toronto are playing and they sold 22,000 tickets at BMO. It'd be like, whoa. Everyone, I, on the floor. Everyone, <laughs> people start pretending that the, the, the problem is solved in Toronto. Right. Right. And now, now interesting. Uh, I'm just going to throw this at you. Is there a problem in Hamilton with attendance? Because I've been watching these games lately and that upper deck is like empty, like every game. No, I honestly, it's been that way for a while. I think it's just people don't want to climb those stairs. Uh, that many people the are hanging out and drinking yeah, beers. If, if you go to, if you go to that, that concourse, there are, so, it's packed. It's, it's packed. Okay. I'll take like, your word for it. I, 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 you know, it just, it looks, it looks bad on TV. It really does. It, does. it really does. It's it, from where I sit, like I, you look and you see that, especially those upper stands on, on the side where the hard camera goes, mm-hmm. they're empty. But then you yeah. look at the concourse and it's just a massive humanity and there's two concourses on that side of the field there's the one you can actually see that's open-ended that points towards the field that is like between the two levels but then there's also one underneath and that's where they have like a couple of beer gardens they have the Coors Light banquet bar like that's where they have a lot of the hangout places which you can't see and I've been over there pre-game for stuff and it's absolutely a zoo so I don't, I don't think, I don't think attendance is great. Like, I don't think they've sold out a game this year. I think they've been over 20,000 tickets sold every, like of, of the three home games so far. So I'm not going to say that attendance isn't an, somewhat of an issue, but I mean, when you're selling 21,000 to a 23, five seat stadium, it's, I don't, I don't think it's that big a deal because the people you don't see, they're literally just sitting in a bar buying $11 beers for three hours and spending a crap ton of money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, you know they always get you at the at the stadium with the with everything basically food, beer, all of it. They did they, they really hose you, but uh, well, I'm glad to hear that because I was getting a little bit concerned. You know how you know the Tigers have been a stable franchise for many years now, but it, it always hasn't been like that. So, um, and I'm sure the 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 record doesn't help, right? I mean, no. we're one in five. You know, people don't want to go see a, a losing team. No, and they were the out of the three teams they played to start the season. Two of them are Western opponents. Not exactly a huge draw. Like Calgary doesn't draw well. Edmonton Edmonton draws okay, but Edmonton stinks too. Like you, 
it's it's Labor Day. If Labor Day, it's there's nineteen thousand people here, then we might be having a conversation about concern. But at the same time, we have to remember earlier this year they they rejigged the ownership group. Stelco bought a, a stake of the franchise. I don't think that this team, Bob Young, we know has more money than he knows what to spend. I'm I'm not concerned about the future of this team. I mean, I think the newness of the stadium is worn off for sure, and I think the team not. I th- I think it t- if they would have won the Grey Cup last year, I think attendance might have been like sell out every week, honestly, because I think people were, are attracted to winners. Mm-hmm. And Hamilton's had a lot. I, and I know people say like, well, the Ticats are the only ones that matters, but there's four professional sports teams here now. Well, I mean, the junior hockey team's not a professional team, but it's close too. The Bulldogs made it to the Memorial Cup Championship. The Forge does really well, uh, both attendance wise, league wide, like as uh, in that league. And they've been to three consecutive championships in three years. And the Honey Badgers were in the championship the first year, and they're the best team in that league this year. So there is some, again, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison because those teams aren't at the profile of the Tiger Cats. But there are other sports teams here who are doing really well, and I think victories and wins capture people's attention. Like, I I can tell you, I didn't watch a stitch of OHL hockey throughout the year, but the Bulldogs made a run to the Memorial Cup final. If that game wouldn't have been the same night as a Ford game, I'd have been glued to my TV. I watched games when they were in the, I watched a couple of their games when they were in the, the Memorial Cup, like the round robin and the semifinals and stuff. You can't, you, it, it captures your imagination when teams win. And if the Thai Cats were winning, I think attendance would be a little bit better. But I, I really don't think you have anything to be concerned about, if I'm being honest. Okay, that's good. That's good because, uh, yeah, we don't want that. We don't have to, we won't, you know, ha- we don't want to worry about, you know, the franchise and mm-hmm. winning on the field. So, um, and I'm sure that a lot of those options are at a lower price point as well mm-hmm. for the Tiger Cats, and they're winning. So, yeah, that's uh, there's more and more options for pro sports across Canada. Like here in Edmonton, you know, I caught a baseball game. Um, I'm not sure what level it was, but it was fun. And like like in Hamilton, they have a basketball and a soccer team, and so yeah, it's it's good to have options for sure. Family friendly, and the thing that I'll say about so I've been to I went to my first Honey Badgers game this year. And obviously, I go to the Forge games all the time. They're under two hours. It's two hours and you're out. And if you want to take a kid to a game, like my friends bring their son to Forge. Now, he's a big soccer guy. He plays soccer, loves soccer. So he's more into it. But he also comes to the football games where by about halftime, midway through the third quarter, he is bored out of his mind because football is a game that you really have to pay attention to. And when you're young, it's kind of hard. It's hard, really hard to explain, really hard to like grasp as a youngster, like, why did they do this? And why did they do that? Now he's doing his best because he, he wants to, you know, he wants to spend time with his dad and his mom and, and his, you know, surrogate uncle, which is me and his, his aunt who also comes to the game. So like he's trying his best, but at the same time, you can tell he's getting bored. Whereas with soccer, it started when we first, when we, they first started bringing him that he would get to about halftime and then start bouncing around. Now he's like fully committed and watching. And why did they do this? Why did they do that? And I think a lot of it has to do with the short runtime. You got a two hour, and I know football is never going to get to that point because just the way the game is played. But you get a two-hour runtime for for a sporting event, man. It it you if you ever went to, and I know you're not a big soccer guy. I know you're probably not even a big basketball guy. But if you ever went to any of those games, like just as a one-off, you would realize just how quickly those games go by. And because, especially in soccer, the clock never stops. You play 45 minutes, 47-ish, depending on how many added times at a time there is at the end of the half, and then it's a 15-minute halftime, and then you play another, and you're gone. Like it's. And it's it never really stops, fi- like right, like basketball and soccer, yeah. like the flow never stops. It's just not really flow. And for the record, yeah, pr- pretty much. Um, 
But for the record, I I, I love basketball. Um, oh, okay. I, I wasn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have. I forgot. You sent me that picture of a basketball net that you had. Anyway, yeah, so I used go to, to play a, basketball go, when I was a kid, and then uh, yeah, and I, I watched it. I, I still watch it quite a bit. I enjoy watching it. It's probably uh, my second favorite sport to watch after football. Uh, after football. So yeah, real big basketball guy. Oh, there we go. We found something new about Mike today that I, even I didn't know. I wasn't. I wasn't sure. He, I didn't know he was a big basketball guy. Okay, let's move on. Anyway, we're gonna kick it old school today, Mike. And we're going to actually talk about a game on the main pod since last week's game against the Lions ended so gosh darn late. And full disclosure here, I did not actually make it to the end of the game and I did not see the end until the following morning. So while all you guys were lamenting the loss, I was asleep <laughs> on the couch and didn't wake up until I saw, I, I don't even know what was on TS, but I woke up, I was like, oh, I missed the end of the game. But thank God for PVR, I was able to watch it the next day. But because of that, we opted not to do a live instant reactions postgame show. We will be doing one this week, despite it also being a Thursday night game. But this game's in Hamilton. We'll end, obviously, much earlier than 1 a.m. local time for me. So we're going to fire up the old tweet machine and give you that postgame goodness that we've been giving you most of the season. But moving on to the actual game, Mike, the Ticats went into BC last Thursday night, gave the Lions a pretty good run for their money, but they ultimately fell 17-12 to to drop to 1-5 and on the season. There's a lot to talk about from this one, but I want to start by asking you a question that might be kind of silly on its surface. Do you feel better about the team's prospects for the rest of the season following this loss to the Lions more than you did following their win over the Red Blacks the week before? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. You know, they went into BC and they they played them tight, man. They they had a chance to win that game. So I'm going to have to say I feel better because I just think that the story of this game was missed opportunities. I don't know how many times they're in the red zone, but they should have scored a lot more points than what they did. Um, so to take a team like BC to the very end, you know, 17 to 12, it was a tight game. They slowed down, you know, one of the best offenses, if not the best offense in the league right now. So I was impressed. Even in a loss, I was impressed. It's disappointing. They, sh- In my eyes, they should have won the game. Um, they had plenty of chances, but it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, the missed opportunities we're going to get into in like a brief second. But I'm the same way. Like after I finished the game, I, I just thought to myself, I was like, I feel like they looked better. It's it's weird. They looked better in this one scoring 12 points than I thought they looked against the Red Blacks the entire game. Like I, I am way more buoyed by this team and what they can accomplish based on this 12-point scoring game and five-point loss than I was with the win over Ottawa. Cause this was a, this is a good BC team. Like they're four and one. They were going like all the reasons. And we, we just, we touched on it last week when we previewed the game, all the reasons for this team to get blown out were there short week, cross country flight, 10 PM game against a team coming off a bye, playing on the road. Team's pretty hot. There was every excuse for this to be one of those 44 to 13 blowouts. That's over by halftime. And the Ticats hung in there and, I know that there's no moral victories in sports, but this is about as close as I think you can get to one. There was this team had every excuse to fold and wilt and they gave BC maybe not their best shot. Cause I think we've seen them play better than they played against the lions, but given everything that surrounded this, I was actually fairly impressed with how the team performed. And I think that even in this loss, they could use this as sort of a rallying cry of, BC maybe maybe they're not on the level of Calgary and Winnipeg but they're they're not that far below and they they went into their house and gave them gave them a fight this this Lions team is the highest scoring team in the league and the defense completely shut them down Nathan Rourke has been the star of the early portion of the season 
his numbers were good, but did you ever feel like he really took the game over? There were a couple plays here and there. I really liked what I saw to this team, despite the fact that if you told me beforehand that they'd only score 12 points, I'd have been like, well, they're going to get their teeth kicked in. And they didn't. Mm-hmm. So going forward, I, th- I think I this was one of those games where maybe you look at it at the end of the season and go, this was sort of the turning point. They Maybe even in the loss, this was where they kind of figured some stuff out. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they uh, I agree with you. Uh, but this, I don't understand, like... It, is it just me or the Thai cats never make two point conversions? Like every time they go for a two point conversions, like going through the years, like I just, they, they can't make two point conversions and they can't make sneaks. Like they've, they've been stuffed on third and one so many times. It seems it's like, how is it that hard to get half a yard when the defense is a yard off the ball? Like is the, uh, the offensive line isn't that bad anymore. Like I, I just don't understand why we can't manage to do that. The two point convert thing, it does feel a little bizarre because usually with those plays, it is here's your best, like you, you, you'll, you'll hold off on, a, on your best red zone play in case you need that. You know what I mean? Like offensive coordinators tend to have like five or six plays where like, we know this will work against this team, no matter what defense they play. And yeah, the, the two point thing kind of, kind of flummoxes you, but I mean, the lions, the lions got stopped on the third down gamble in this one as well so well, it was a nice play by kyle wilson i thought absolutely a, a phenomenal play by kyle wilson yeah yeah absolutely yeah, he, he impressed me he, he's been filling in pretty pretty good for simone when he's gone so um i thought he had a pretty good game yeah for sure so i think the story you kind of touched on it a little bit i think the story of this game will be the missed chances that this team had uh, they had three trips in the red zone and came away with zero touchdowns they kicked i think two field goals out of them they scored zero points off the three turnovers they created like, this is the exact recipe for losing a game, is it not? Yeah, and we keep talking about things can be fixed, things can be fixed, like the turnovers. And the turnovers were improved the last two weeks. Um, I think we only had, uh, well, Dane had the one pick, and then the, I think Tim White fumbled the ball. And they had three turnovers on downs at the end of the game where they were going for it. Right. One they had right. to do, you know what I mean? Like, it was all in that, like, last three minutes where, like, that's the thing. Yeah. If you look at the box score, they turned the ball over on their last four possessions, three turnovers on down, and then Evans pick on the very last play, which we'll get into when we talk about Evans' game in a second. But yet, I, this, to me, didn't come down. Like, this wasn't a turnover problem in this game, to me. No. Tim White fumble was really the only one where I'm like, oh, man, you can't have that. But the other ones are like, they're going for it deep. Like, you're going for it at the end of the game down by five because you can't kick a field yeah. goal because you have to go for it. Now, there's some debate about whether they should kick a field goal earlier or whatever. But you know what I mean? Like, those, those things don't, if you look at it just as, as the numbers, you're like, oh, the, what a horrible way to end the game. But if you watch the game, you're like, oh, no, these make sense. They just didn't they just didn't execute, if, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, the interception was on a Hail Mary, the last mm-hmm. play of the game. So, And that, that almost, you know, they almost got tipped almost and uh, caught that ball. <laughs> so um, that, that got me out of my seat, but uh, quickly sat back down. But, um, yeah, I mean, offensively, I thought they, you know, Don Jackson only had 36 yards rushing, but they, they ran the ball with, with many people, and they had over 100 yards rushing. So I thought the game plan from Tommy Condell was pretty good. You know, we saw some creativity, uh, which was nice to see with the two two quarterbacks on the field. Uh, they had some some trick plays that was, worked pretty well. The, the pass back to Schiltz almost got picked off, but... He ended up getting about an eight or nine yard gain, so it worked out in the end. 
Uh, I know there was a lot of blame on Tommy Condell after this one, as there is, it seems, after every game, but I thought he called a good game. Yeah, he's everyone's favorite whipping boy right now, and I don't think you can lay this. This was actually a question I had written down. Do you blame the offense's poor performance on Tommy Condell? You answered that already. I'm I'm with you. I don't think this was – people are going to look at 12 points and go, oh, my God, like this is clearly an offensive problem. I don't think the offense was bad. Like, I think this was good defense by BC. I think this was just a really good defensive game by both sides. Like, the Ticats had, like, a seven-minute drive that started at their own, like, 10-yard line, and they drove it down into – they turned it over at the end of the drive, and it's, like, one of those ones where, like, oh, my God. Like, that was one of those drives where it's, like, if they score here, this could be a turning point. Like, you know what I mean? Like, those yeah. kind of inflection points. That would have been one, but – they put together a drive like you don't see seven, eight minute drives in the CFL very often. They Dane was patient in the pocket. He he picked his picked his reads well. Like he just he took what was there. The running game worked. Like to me, this wasn't this this came down to they got in the red zone and they didn't score touchdowns. That to hmm. me is the the main reason why this team lost. Yeah, and that's an and, execution and, and thing, not, right? And and getting three turnovers and coming away with zero points off them that hurts too. Like they started the yeah. game. They, they, the Lions turned the ball over in the first two possessions, and the Ticats didn't get any points. That that hurts. Yeah, it absolutely did hurt. And once again, slow start offensively. We get no points in the first quarter, uh, six points in the second, six in the third, zero in the fourth. And and BC didn't get anything in the fourth either. But, it, it, you know, it's that trend, right? Slow start, slow finish for the offense. And that needs to break, like, immediately because we cannot win games only playing effectively on offense for a quarter and a half. It's just not going to work out. Absolutely. So what did you make of Dane's performance? He threw for 297 yards, completed about 68% of his passes, and his lone turnover, which we discussed, came on a Hail Mary on the last play of the game. And for me, that doesn't – I know it's going to count on his stats. That doesn't even register for me, really. Like, that's no. that's a heave. At the, that's uh, – Hail Marys at the end of the game, at the end of the half, interceptions on those – I don't really care about them at all. So what did you think about his performance? Yeah, uh, Hail Mary's, you know, you catch the ball, it's a fluke interception. It's a fluke, basically. It, it just doesn't really matter. But um, I thought he played a really good game. You you mentioned the numbers. I thought he sp- spread the ball around really well. Braylon Addison, he passed it to him quite a bit. And it was nice to see him uh, break out a little bit in this game because he hasn't been at the top of the receiving charts in a game this season, I don't believe. He had eleven recept- or nine receptions for 83 yards. So I thought he played really well, uh, Braylon Addison. And, uh, yeah, Dane, I think he had passes. He had one, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, eight targets that he hit. So he's been spreading – he spread the ball around really well. I thought he was patient in the pocket. Uh, he only threw one interception. And we know that turnovers have been the big problem for Dane this year. And that's been improved uh, a lot in the last couple of weeks. So I thought he had a really good game. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, no fumbles in this one, no fumbles in the last one. That, to me, is more concerning than interceptions. Interceptions happen. He's still thrown too many, but I'm not I, – I, that's something you can get under control, and I feel like the last couple of weeks he has started to get that under control. I thought he played a, a good game. I thought he was excellent on that long drive. I thought he saw the field well. Like, I I don't think he's – he's he's not – just again, despite the fact – and this is probably what I'm going to keep coming back to when we talk about the offense so much. Despite the fact they only scored 12 points, I wasn't – overly concerned with how the offense played and you brought up the running game earlier the Ticats once again made that sort of a concerted effort to run the football but I think unlike the game against Ottawa I thought they did it way more effectively in this one you mentioned Don Jackson 
the 3.3 yards per carry on 11 carries isn't great and is still somewhat of a concern for me because we're used to him being that game breaker. But overall, I thought using Tim White and especially Braylon Addison was a good touch. And I feel like the team ran the ball much better against BC than it did against Ottawa. And I think that that opened things up in the passing game. And I feel like when you use multiple guys to run the ball, like some teams have an Andrew Harris and some teams don't. I don't think there's any problems with using multiple ball carriers. I think the Tigers had, what, four or five guys get at least one carry in this one. I, I like the fact that they use multiple guys in this run. Maybe I'm saying that because I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan and they use Debo Samuel, their receiver, in a similar way that Ty Catch used Braylon Addison. And I just really like when that happens. But if these guys are making plays, get the ball in their hands any way you can, no? Absolutely. And they had they had six guys carry the ball. Uh, six, Ma- okay. Matthew Schiltz had uh, two carries oh, right, for right, four right. yards. So, yeah, I think, I think it's uh, like we've been harping on it, it seems, since we started this podcast to run the ball more. So... Uh, it's always good to see uh, open up the passing game a little bit more, like you said. So I think we're on the right track. I really do. Uh, but, you know, we could be on the right track all season and then the season could be over and we could have three wins. So we got to start winning, man. We just have to start winning games. It doesn't matter what the stats say. Just win the damn ball game. No, I agree with you on that. But staying on the offensive side of the ball for a second, Braylon Addison, I think you mentioned, I think he had his best game of the year, led mm-hmm. the team in catches, tied for the team lead in yards. And being a factor on the offense, like throughout the game, it wasn't just like he had a a chunk there. It was like he seemed to be the focal point of the passing attack. I also think Stephen Dunbar Jr. might be this team's best receiver right now. And if you think Mm -hmm. that's going too far, he's been at least their most reliable through the first third of the season. He tied Addison in this game for uh, most receiving yards in the team, and he scored the only touchdown against the Lions. He's now tied for the league lead with four. And as Tim White has kind of struggled, Dunbar's really kind of stepped up. And speaking of Tim White, he had a rough one, I think, against BC. He had the fumble that ended a very promising drive to open the third quarter, and he caught just four out of his 10 targets. He's he's really been fighting it recently, but I think because of how well Dunbar has been playing, and now we see Addison sort of stepping up, it's kind of gone under the radar just how much Tim White has. He's had a couple of good games, but mostly this has been a, a r- pretty rough sophomore season for him. Yeah, it has. There's, there's, you know, that fumble in the last game, and there's been some drops. Uh, I, I, I still think that he's going to be a really good player, but yeah, it's been a little bit difficult for him this season so far. And the thing about Braylon Addison in this game was, you know, he caught the ball on on a second down play, and it might have been like a four yard pass, but he ended up fighting his way to a first down. So, oh, yep, he's. Uh, it was on the sideline, right? That's the one you're talking about? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So the effort is there. Uh, you know, he's – we haven't seen that from him yet this season. We haven't seen the athleticism necessarily from Braylon Addison, and it was really nice to see in this game. Do you think I'm crazy saying Dunbar's the best receiver on the team right now? Because no. he's been awesome. He's been awesome. No, he's been – absolutely. He's He's been getting open. He's been making, you know, pretty much every catch that's thrown at him and some incredible catches as well. So – uh, yeah, I totally agree that at this point in time, Dunbar, you know, Addison may be the number one receiver on paper, but Dunbar has been the best so far. All right. So defensively, I thought once again, there's I don't think there's much to talk about here because I think they were good, no. really good in this one. Just like they've been kind of all season. They held the league's top scoring offense to just 17 points. They were once again excellent against the run aside from, a, a, I think, two, maybe three big runs. They really held BC's run game in check. Nathan Rourke, who's pretty athletic, didn't really. I think every single one of his runs came on a a QB sneak. So they didn't let him 
beat that beat him with his feet. I thought the defense mostly was tremendous in this one. And I want to give special shout outs to Tunde Adelike, who looked at times to be the best player on the field for either side. And Julian Hauser, who was once again phenomenal. I think he's criminally underrated. And I think he maybe him and Adelike right now are kind of jockeying for the team's top defensive player at the third point of the one third point of the season. And I think Hauser might be the team's most consistent defensive player so far this year. And no one ever talks about him. That interception he had, he's 20 yards downfield in coverage. And yeah, it was a tip ball, but that's a tough play for a big man to make. And he's out there doing it. Yeah. Th- both of those guys have been great this year. You know, as, to me, especially delicate. I don't, he just, the ball in the air, he can, he has so much speed. He, he has such great awareness of what's going on. I think he's, in my eyes, he's the best safety in the league. And Hauser's been great as well. It's just the defensive line to me just isn't getting enough pressure on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I know they've been better over the last couple of weeks, but Nathan Rourke had a lot of time on a lot of passes to just sit there and sit there and wait for players to get open. Like Lucky Wade, Lucky Whitehead on that bomb to the end zone. He had all day. So, yes, Julian Hauser has been playing really well, but I think overall – it's my only complaint about the defense is that we're just not getting enough pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. And that permeates into other parts of the defense too. If they're not getting enough pressure on the quarterback, that means the DBs are covering longer, which means you're going to be giving up bigger plays because you can only cover for, for so long, or you're going to commit a penalty or mm-hmm. some, something of that nature. It, it has been a little surprising to see how the defensive line has sort of regressed. I haven't seen it. Michael Johnson had one massive play in this game. And I, and again, when we discussed Micah Johnson's signing all those months ago, we knew that numbers weren't going to be there, but we knew he would have an impact. I'm not sure he's had a really big impact on this team yet. Dylan Wynn's been good. I think he had the lone sack in this game, but even him, I I, I'm still, I'm expecting more out of maybe just because of the, the resume he has and the career he's had so far. It just, Ted Laurent hasn't really done much. Hauser, like I said, has, has been fairly consistent in, in the first six games and we've got almost next to nothing out of the Mason Bennett, Malik Carney tandem like that. It's looking as if the team, and again, it, it wasn't all on them. Gary Davis wanted to play elsewhere. I understand that. Not finding an adequate replacement for him, however, has proven to be, maybe that's the missing link on this defense right now. Yeah, there, and we talk about players leaving the team in the offseason, like Brandon Banks, and there's, there was a, you know, a couple big names that left this team. Uh, Jaguar Davis being one of them. And I didn't think it was a huge loss necessarily. Like, I know that he's a hell of a player. He puts out statistics every year. But I thought we could, you know, fill in for him and maybe not get as much production, but, you know, come close to it. And it just hasn't worked out that way. So I think that he might have been – because to me, Brandon Banks, he's not doing anything in Toronto, Um, like anything. Like, I I don't know. I know he returned – a punt in last game, but you don't see him in the receiving game. Like he's just not getting the ball thrown his way. So I don't think he's a massive loss, but I think Jiggy Gary Davis so far has been uh, a big loss. I think, I think, and the thing is, I think Garrett, Gary Davis has been a bigger loss for the Ticats and he's been a gain for the Argos because he hasn't really done much throughout the first third of the season with Toronto. Like he's been there. He's made a handful of plays, but he doesn't seem to be, as consistent, I think that the problem is that the team just didn't do anything to replace him. And I think that they were maybe a little too high on the guys they had in-house. One of the guys they lost in free agency and under-the-radar guy was Lorenzo Malden, who went to 
Ottawa, I think he's got like five sacks. And it's like, okay, Berkey goes to Ottawa, takes him with him, makes him a starter in Ottawa, and look at what he can produce. Maybe if, if they were able to retain a guy like that and let Davis walk, we wouldn't be having this conversation about the defensive line struggling. That's all I have to talk about really from this game, Mike. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we move on? Just a quick touch on the offensive line. I thought they played well again. I'm not worried about the offensive line anymore. Are you? All right. All right. Well, that's... Any anymore? Or is there any concern from you? for? From My only concern line? is something we're going to talk about in a second, which is injuries. Okay. But other than mm-hmm. that, right. no. I, th- I think when this offensive line, when it's the foursome of, of Kelly, Revenberg, I mean, it's Fontana at center. I To me, I, I think I'd prefer Gibbon, but I mean, I don't think Fontana's been bad the last couple of games that he's played. Uh, you have Woodmanzi and Van Zyl. I think that's that, that's a pretty. It might it might not be the best line in the league, but it's a pretty it's a pretty good one. And and I think that a lot of that comes down to finally finding that left tackle that you can just kind of not worry about. And I, I'm yeah. really hoping that they're able to keep this unit together for yeah, next sure. season. Maybe Van Zyl leaves and you and you slide Kyle Saxlin in there. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm I'm just. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm not I'm not overly concerned with the play of the offensive line as I was in weeks one, two, three, and what have you. Yeah, yeah, much improved, much improved. All right, so let's move on to some Ticats news, Mike, and we have a ton of roster moves to discuss. But the biggest one was that on Tuesday, earlier today, the Ticats traded Canadian punter John Ryan to the Edmonton Elks in exchange for a conditional eighth round pick in the 2023 CFL draft. Ryan signed with the Ticats on July 10th, and if you look at your calendar, we're recording this on Tuesday, it is July 26th. That means he spent 16 days with the franchise, never seeing the field as he was on the one-game injured list for the two games he was a member of the Tiger Cats. What are your thoughts on this move, Mike? Because a lot of people are really confused as to why the team even brought him in, and if they brought him in and never played him, like why did they keep him? What about you? What do you think about all of this? Uh, it's interesting, you know, to bring in a, you know, it's a bigger name. Just because of his time he spent in the NFL and the leg he has on him, but I'm not too concerned or worried about this move. I mean, Domigal play, played pretty good in the punting game last week. Uh, I think he'll be a fine punter for us. I, I don't necessarily think we need John Ryan. I think they brought him in because they're worried about Domigal and who's gonna you know punt the ball. They didn't think that Domigal could handle all the responsibilities, so. But after seeing Domagala kick for a couple games, punt for a couple games, I guess that worry, you know, went away and thought he, John Ryan was expendable. And now he's in Edmonton. So, yeah, it's 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 a bit uh, weird the way that it happened, bringing him in, not playing him, and then trading him. But, uh, yeah, it's it's not huge news to me. I think domagala has been excellent, and I think that's the reason Ryan's not here anymore. I think it's mm-hmm. as simple as that. I think... I don't know if he was dealing with an injury or what have you, but him not playing was was kind of curious at first. And then Don Miguel was decent against the Red Blacks, and I thought he was tremendous against the Lions. And when you add in the fact that he does kickoffs, which Ryan doesn't do, and he's really he's he, like here's the thing: Don Miguel has an issue with accuracy. He does not have an issue with distance. That man has a booming leg on kickoffs. He's probably one of the better kickoff guys in the league. And the thing that he adds too is, and this is something I, I thought of earlier today, was if for some reason Seth Small gets hurt in a game, yeah, we haven't loved Don Miguel's place kicking, but he can do it. John Ryan is not a place kicker. He's purely no. a punter. So you add sort of that versatility there as well, 
which again, the chances of your kicker getting hurt in a game are, are minimal, but it has happened before the Ticats have a backup option in their punter. But the reason John Ryan is not here anymore, in my opinion, is Michael Domagala has been, has been an exceptional punter the last two weeks. And given what Ryan probably makes, again, I'm not saying Ryan's making, you know, boatloads of money, but he's definitely making more than Domagala makes the, the difference in production probably wouldn't have warranted the, the added expense of having a veteran like John Ryan here and the team made the move. And I don't have a problem with it whatsoever. I never thought I'd be in the Michael Domagala fan club, but as a punter, I think he's been fantastic. I mean, in the last game, he averaged 50.2 yards a punt. So that's pretty good for, for CFL. Um, CFL usually something like 47 net average is is something. Yeah. 47.2. Yeah. And and the thing is like a lot of that has to do with like the Ticats have one of the best cover teams in the league. But that also has to do with him being like, that's <laughs> if you're, if you're punting at 47 to 50 yards, I'll take it. I'll take it every day of the week. Yeah. Cause usually in the CFL, it's around, you know, the average is around 43 to 47 type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the kickoffs were, you know, 69 yard average. So yeah, you're right. The guy can, the guy can boot it. That's for sure. All right. So in other roster news, Mike, it looks as if the team is going to be making a few changes for this week's game against the Alouettes. And uh, there's good changes and bad changes. So let's start with the unfortunate stuff first. Looks like Chris Van Zyl will miss this week's game with a hip injury. He did not participate in any of the team's practices this week. And from the looks of things, it looks as if Travis Vorn call will be getting this another shot at starting at left tackle with Colin Kelly moving over to his more comfortable right tackle position. Don't really have a problem with that. The team also looks to be without return man sensation Lawrence Woods and safety Stavros Katsantonis. Both have missed out on the last two days of practice with what the injury report is calling an illness. I'll leave you to believe what that illness is. And neither player was on the field for Wednesday's practice session that I went to. Tim White, Braylon Addison, Don Jackson, and Sean Thomas Erlington have all been getting time at returner in place of Woods. So we'll see which of those guys. I'm guessing it's probably, it looks to me like it's going to be Addison at punt and Tim White on kick returns, which is interesting given their roles on offense as well. So before we move on to the positive stuff, Mike, these these losses, Van Zyl, Woods, Katz and Tonis, how concerning are they for you going into this game, which is maybe not a must win against Montreal, but one you really want to have? You know, Woods is a great return guy. Uh, Katz and Tonis is a future starter in this league, no doubt about it. I think the biggest loss is Van Zyl just because of the shuffling we're going to have to do along the offensive line. It's not a lot of shuffling, but putting Vorn call at left tackle worries me. It really does. Uh He's been okay at left tackle, terrible at times. So to me, Van Zyl being uh, injured is the biggest loss. You know, having to put Kelly on the right tackle. I know he's more comfortable there, but he's been playing really well at left tackle. It just worries me to get Warren Call out there. I mean, we should ha- we should be able to play an extra man on the offensive line if we have Warren Call at left tackle. Like, <laughs> give us an extra guy out there, please. Yeah, I'm not too hot about him playing either. I'm I'm surprised they're not going back to Tyrone Riley, who I thought was semi. The game against Winnipeg was a disaster, but that I'm not I'm not holding that against a rookie playing in a second career game. I thought he played pretty well against Calgary, so I think I would have been more comfortable going with a younger guy. But this is where the team's going, and yeah, I I think losing Woods I think hurts because he, not only is he a really great return man, but he's also really good as a uh, as a coverage guy as well he's like second or third on the team in special teams tackles so he adds everything to the return game 
whether it's coverage or returning the ball himself. Katz and Tonus is a loss. He's a guy that they use a lot in sub packages when they do three down linemen and they go to seven defensive backs. He's always out there. So that is a, it's a loss, but yeah, the, the Van Zyl one to me is definitely, definitely the biggest of the three onto the positive stuff though. The team is getting back at least two and maybe three or four impact players this week. Receiver Lamar Durant and defensive back Cario Brooks were both full participants in practice this week after both had been out since the second week of training camp back in May. Both players took a lot of first-team reps. Durant, who will likely be making his Ticats debut this week against Montreal, was joined by Tyler Tanowski as the team's second-starting Canadian receiver. And Brooks looks to be going back to his old spot as the team's boundary halfback, replacing fan favorite Alden Darby. Offensive lineman Kyle Saxlid was a limited participant in practice this week. And I'm not sure if he's going to suit up this week. He might be a week away, but that would end his stint on the six-game injured list, where he's been since that week one loss to Saskatchewan when he got hurt. And lastly, Mike, future Hall of Fame linebacker Simone Lawrence was activated off the six-game injured list this week and has been a full participant in practice. Kyle Wilson, however, who has been filling in for Lawrence, as we've discussed the last two weeks, was still with the starting defense. So I don't know if Simone will play this week. But I think whether he does or not, it is good news that he doesn't look like he's going to miss those full six games like we were worried when he went down with that groin injury in practice a couple weeks ago. So out of these four returns, let's let's, let's, let's say the two Durant and Brooks is, is one set of two and Saxlid and Lawrence, who might not play this week, is another set of two. Which of, you, which of these has you the most excited to see this guy back on the field? Uh, I, I'm going to have to go with Durant and Brooks. Uh, I think that Carroll Brooks is tremendous in the in a defensive backfield. And I want to see what Durant has. I mm-hmm. mean, this is a guy that came into the league with a lot of a lot of hype. Like, this guy was supposed to be the next great Canadian receiver. And because of injuries and other things, I'm sure, it just hasn't worked out that way. But the potential is still there to be a really great receiver in this league. So... You know, he's been out since the start of the season. I'm excited to, to see how they use him. Um, and the thing about, so I'd have to go with Durant and Brooks. But the thing about uh, Simone Lawrence is, I say just give him another week. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Kyle, um, whoever's in there, they'll be all right. Uh, make sure he's, unless he's completely healthy, good to go, then put him in there. But if, he, if there's, like, if he's 90, you know, 3% or something, just leave him out for another week. Yeah, I'm kind of in that same boat because you, you they got this game, which is on a Thursday, and then their next game is – is it a Friday or a Saturday? Let me look. It's a Saturday. So you have an extra long week. You're going to get more days off to start the week. I think it's, to me, smart. He didn't look hampered out there when I watched on Tuesday. Like he was he was bouncing around and, and doing Simone Lawrence things, but he was just – a lot of it was, was with the scout team. But I'm with you. I think – resting him one more week wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Saxlid keeping him off the roster and getting that full six games of not having to pay him, uh, his, his, I'm not having that, his contract, you just have to pay him, but not having that count towards the cap, I think is a good thing. I'm excited to see what Durant can do because I, I'm, I'm a sucker for Canadian receivers. I am a little curious where Alden Darby goes now. Like, is he going to be yes. their six DB? Like, mm-hmm. What, what do you do with a guy like that? Because he's too good to not play, but I understand the fact that Brooke, that's Brooks's spot. Like this, this was a problem that we talked about during the preseason and lead up to training camp. They had too many talented DBs who was the odd man out. It looks as if Darby's the odd man out, but I can't see them not playing him. He's, he's been, right. especially recently, I think he, I think as the season's gone on, he's gotten better and better. I thought his best game was against Ottawa, but 
I, I, that's the only one where I'm like, ah, oh, man, do you, do you mess with the chemistry that that secondary has been building? Because I think for the most part, the secondary has been pretty good. A lot of their issue stems from what we talked about earlier. The lack of a consistent pass rush has made their job a little more difficult. So now you're going to kind of change that. Now you're bringing in a guy that all the other guys are familiar with anyway. So there's not, not like a chemistry change there. But it does, I don't know, this one feels a little a little off to me in a way. Not not in a bad way, because I think both players are talented. Just at, where do you go from here with Alden Darby is my question. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good question to ask because he's a hell of a player and you want him on the field. Like, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know, man. Like, yeah, I guess I guess you just go with you see how Cario Brooks plays, and if he doesn't play well, then you have the option to slide in Darby. And you know, Darby spent some time at uh, strong side linebacker, I believe, right? Or mm-hmm. was that the? Nope. So no, he's played all over. Op- yeah. Yeah. So there's the option there if someone goes down. So. It sucks that he's not going to be on the field necessarily for every play, but it's good that he's sitting in the in the weeds, you know, ready to jump in there once someone else goes down. Yeah, for sure. I think he could still have an impact on the game even if he's not a starter. It just feels like you rotate a, him a, in, kind of thing. Maybe, but you don't really like to do a ton of rotation with the DB. Like it just yeah. that feels like just a really weird guy to have sitting on your bench. But he'll contribute on special teams and in sub packages, I'm sure of. So I'm sure we'll, we'll still see a, a heck of a lot of Alden Darby against the Alouettes and, and going forward with this team. Let's move on to some CFL news, Mike. The league was forced to move last week's Argos Riders game to Sunday night after the Riders were ravaged by COVID. They lost like some like 13 players or something were on the COVID list. They canceled two days of practice. That move that they, they went from a Saturday night game to a Sunday night game. That game pulled in nearly 650,000 viewers and helped the league average over 500,000 viewers for the totality of the week for the first time this season. Last week's least watched game was to the surprise of no one listening to this likely Thursday night's highly entertaining, mind you Montreal, Ottawa clash. I'm not sure how you feel about Thursday night football, Mike, but I hate it. Seeing the ratings for Sunday night compared to Thursday night has me thinking, and I'm kind of curious how you feel about this as well. Should the league just turf Thursday night games and go with Sunday night games instead? What do you think? I'm kind of impartial to this. Uh, to me, you know, I understand if you're in the local market. Like, I get it. Like, I I go to Edmonton games. I'm probably not going to go to a Thursday night Edmonton game because I have to get my ass up at, like, 6 in the morning to go to work the next day. So I get it from that standpoint. From a TV standpoint, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to be watching on Thursday night. I'm going to be watching on Sunday night. It doesn't matter. But if you're going to get better ratings on Sunday, then why not have it on Sunday? Like leading up to the NFL, because we know we cannot have a game against the NFL, but then we can't have a game against NHL either. So you can't have games on Saturday. You can't have games on Sunday. You know, Friday night's the only game. Night you can have them, I guess. But yeah, you don't want to compete with the NFL. Uh, if it works on Sundays, then then keep it Sundays till the NFL starts. Uh, it doesn't matter to me, but if the ratings are better, then then do it. Well, here's the thing: they get rid of Thursday night football when the NFL starts too, because they don't want to compete with them. So we, it's it, the, my thinking is, you had nearly two hundred and fifty thousand more people watch. Now it, it 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 has the riders involved. I get that but you had nearly a quarter million more people watch on Sunday night. And I'm not saying you have to go to Sunday night, Sunday, Sunday at all, because a lot of people spend Sunday, especially if you're, you know, that five to 10 hour, you're like, eh, 
I got to go to work tomorrow. I'm just going to sit in front of the TV. The Simpsons were a Sunday night staple growing up, and it was one of the biggest shows on television. I know Thursday is a huge night for television watching in the U.S. That's when, if you remember when we were when we were younger, Seinfeld, Friends, all that stuff. It was Thursday night must see TV, right? Mm -hmm. And I get the the attachment to you want the NFL at least they do huge numbers on Thursday nights. The CFL doesn't. Like they they simply don't. So to me, if you're going to attract more viewers at a different time slot, why not try to put game more games in that time slot? It's all about maximizing viewers. And if you're not getting them on Thursday, and, and some of this stems from the fact that the Tie Cats should never be playing a in BC on a Thursday night at 10 p.m. That's just stupid. And but we talked about that last week, so we won't get into it again. I just think that everyone the 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 two biggest compliments about games being played this year that I've heard were the Sunday night game and the Monday night game. And the Monday night game was Winnipeg and Toronto did not feature the riders and did great numbers as well. I mean, these are as much as you hate to, to say it Sunday and Monday football fans. That's when they're conditioned to watch because for decades now they've been watching Sunday NFL, Monday night football. That's where you have people's, attention so if if it works why not and you you can still do the friday games i know that that's a that's a big branding night for the cfl and i got no problems with saturday games i don't give a spit about the nhl i know some people do but i'm never going to watch an nhl game over a cfl game and i'm definitely not going to miss going to a game because there's some nhl game on but i feel like they just the cfl's not consistent enough in their scheduling where they've tried to make thursday night a thing and it hasn't worked Friday nights can be Friday nights. I got no problems with that. I think that I think Friday night's a good night anyway because people maybe they ditch work early to go to the game if it's if it's local or you're okay. It's I just finished work. I just want to chill in front of the TV. Friday nights makes a ton of sense to me. Thursday nights just never. I don't. I I watch Thursday night football, but I don't. Sometimes I barely watch all of it because it's just too. It's too. I don't know. I mean, I don't have to get like for someone like you has to get up and go to work. I, obviously, I think it's it's much more of a deterrent but if you say you don't care then i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know take up your cause on this you know what i mean like i'm not gonna mm-hmm. well mike you know what i mean like if you're fine with it but i just i think that you just look at the numbers and it's give it a shot give sundays give give more sundays during the summer a shot and let's see what it does if it peters out and maybe, maybe this is just a riders thing okay then we were wrong but if if you can have more games on sunday and it's still Built of yours. Actually, I think there is a Sunday game this week, if I'm not mistaken. Let me yeah, check the right. schedule. You're there is, right. isn't there? Is yeah, yeah. Toronto and Ottawa. So let's see what the numbers are for that game. It's at a, it's 5 p.m. instead of 7 p.m. Let's see let's see what that game looks like. Yeah, that'll be more wise. of an indicator, I'd say, because yeah. you know you don't have Rough Riders in there. So and Ottawa sucks. Yeah, like and, you know, and, and like usually they're, they're don't terrible. and don't usually even when they're good, they didn't really bring in huge television numbers. No, the so, Argos do oddly well on tv for some reason uh yeah despite the fact that they can't get fans of the game but yeah so you know what maybe we'll come back to this in a week after we see the numbers for that sunday game if they're mm-hmm. to me if they're if they're in the 550 to 600,000 range i think the cfl needs to seriously look at more sunday games next season yeah i'd be all for it uh you know sunday in the summer is a good time to watch football it, it just i mean sundays anytime is a good way to watch football but I heard something interesting this, that people, young people don't, part of the reason they don't watch the CFL is because Friday, Saturday nights, they're out partying, right? Mm-hmm. And then on Sundays, there's the NFL, and they can just lay on the couch, hungover, 
watch the NFL. They don't have to worry about watching the Titans and the Bills on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it as well. Like people like to go out on Fridays and Saturday nights, even not just young people, like old fogies like us sometimes go out on, on Fridays and Saturday nights. So if you're not like a dedicated fan to the CFL, you're doing something else. You're doing something else. Yeah. I mean, you could say that about anything though, right? Like, True, I mean, I miss, yeah. I, I love the CFL and I miss CFL games on Fridays and Saturday nights because a friend's like, hey, you want to go to the movies? And it's like, well, I'm not going to say no mm-hmm. to going to the friend just so I can watch the Red Blacks and the Lions play. Like, right. no, I, I get it. I get it. I get what you're saying, though. It is it is true. There's there's never going to be a perfect schedule. And the CFL no. has has hurdles that other sports leagues, especially the NFL, don't have when it comes to stadium availability, sharing facilities with other teams. Like, there's one, two, three... I think three of the three of the nine teams share a facility with a soccer team that they have to work around that. So it's it's not easy, but I'm just I'm just looking at purely from a TV perspective. The Sunday night thing worked. Let's come back next week. We'll see what the numbers yeah. are and maybe we won't debate it as much, but we can we'll have a, a better again. It'll still be a small sample size, but it might be a little bit better for us to you take the riders away. What does it look like? I guess we'll find out mm-hmm. on Sunday. Uh, OK, Sounds moving on to the. Yeah, there you go. Okay, moving on to the other CFL news from the week. TD Atlantic, that was I know that wasn't last week, but we saw some disgusting stuff in that from both the Argos and the Riders, with the biggest one being Duke Williams swinging a helmet at Argos DB Shaq Richardson during pregame warm-ups, and then the allegations from the Argos that Williams twice spit on Richardson, once before the helmet fiasco, and again during the game, which led to Richardson smacking Williams during the game. Neither player was disciplined during the game, and we both agree that Williams should have been tossed before the game even began. If that happens, then the rest of the nonsense doesn't go on. And when we last recorded, we did not know what the punishment for both players would be. Now we do. Williams was suspended one game for the altercation, for the helmet swing, I believe. And Richardson was fined for for what happened between him and Williams. The one-game suspension is kind of in line with previous incidents. Vernon Adams in 2019 swung a helmet at Adam Big Hill, was suspended a game. But do you think one game was the right amount for a suspension for something like this, do you think it was too much, not enough, or just right? I don't think it was quite enough. You know, swinging your helmet like that is just like we talked about it last week. It's it's uh, you know in football, it's a cardinal sin. And then spitting on people allegedly, you know, we've heard about that with Duke Williams in the past. So it's not like a this is the first time that he's been accused uh, of that disgusting act. So to me, I would have liked to see maybe two or three games. Uh, yeah, one one just isn't enough for the, that kind of terrible behavior. I mean, you can't throw a helmet at somebody else, like at in his face. I mean, we talked about what could have happened. He could have broke his face. It could have been a lot worse. And then the spinning thing is just disgusting. So to me, two or three games would have been adequate. So I don't think it was enough. And I think, People keep talking about precedent this and precedent that. At some point, I feel like something's got to happen where the CFL's got to bring the hammer down on somebody. Stuff like this, especially. Not necessarily dur- – like I – and I said this last week. I forgive a lot that happens during the game, like during the heat of battle. I can forgive a whole heck of a lot or be like – it was during a game. It was during a play. It was during like even the Vernon Adams helmet swing. Like that's in the middle of the game. I don't remember the entire like what happened. You know what I mean? But like mm-hmm. it happened in the middle of a game. There's a lot of stuff that as a fan, I can go look. It happens in the heat of the moment. I can kind of 
push that that that's a different category what williams did was before the game even began they were in like pre-warmups when he's he's swinging helmets at people i think that the cfl at some point needs something like this needs to happen and they need to go six game suspension because i used last week the miles garrett he did this and he did it in the heat of the of a game took off mason rudolph's helmet and bonked him on the top of the head with it he got an indefinite suspension ended up being six games I think the league needs to do something like that. They need to say enough is enough. We're going to take a stand on this. If they if, if they suspend him six games and Williams appeals and they go well last time it and it gets it gets knocked down. At least the league's absolved of the responsibility. They tried to do the right thing, and they were it wasn't upheld. That's fine to me. I would rather the league come down harsh on players and have it drop back due to arbit due to uh, not arbitration. What's the word I'm looking for? Appeal. Uh, then them to go light worrying about it being appealed and dropped down. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, throw the book at him, right? And just yep. whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I can get behind that. And I just think that the spitting stuff, obviously that hasn't been proven, but like when you're, when it, this isn't the first instance of this being something that, like this isn't the first time he's been accused of this. There's mm-hmm. smoke where there's fire, right? Like yeah. something's there he's probably a spitter. And I mean, we dealt with a spitter last year. Remember Cam Kelly against the, uh, what was it right. against Edmonton? I think he, yeah. he spit on, he spit on someone. It was during that. Oh yeah, it was Edmonton because it was during that whole Simone Lawrence, James Wilder Jr. Kerfuffle on the sideline. Remember that when like Simone hit him, it was, that was actually kind of awesome to be honest with you. Anyway, he was, uh, Kelly was spit on someone and was booted from the game. And we came on here and said, there's no place for that in the game. You can't, you can't be spitting on people. It's gross, especially the, mm-hmm. now in the time of COVID. Like, what are you doing? I, I just think that the league needs to take a harsher stance on stuff like this. And like I said, if it happens in the heat of the game, I'm way more forgiving of that than stuff that happens even even right after the game, like post game stuff. If, if people are still kind of chippy, I, I get it. You know, emotions run high pregame. Come on. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. You can't you know, that's not heat of the moment type stuff. You know, it's just, you know, two players beacon. I don't know what happened before uh, the actual helmet throwing and all that, but something must have been leading up to it. But you just can't be, you just can't be doing that. Uh, bottom line. Sticks and stones, man. No matter what, how much beacon goes on, unless you said something truly despicable. Right. Mm-hmm. Come on. You're, you're grown ups. Like, come on. You're not, you're not kids anymore. Get, get, get real. Uh, okay, moving on, Mike. It is now time to tee up the next Ticats game, which will take place on Thursday night at Tim Hortons Field when the Tiger Cats host the Montreal Alouettes. I think saying this is a massive early season game may be an understatement, buddy. The Ticats sit two points back of the Owls for second in the East, and a win here would see them jump the Alouettes in the standings. This is also the first of that six games we talked about last week where the Ticats will play strictly East Division opponents. And I've gone on record saying I think that this this year is their most critical stretch of the season. Mm-hmm. And that I think they need at least four wins out of the next six to have any realistic shot of making the playoffs despite this poor start to the season. Three of these next six come at home at the friendly confines of Tim Hortons Field. And I think it is imperative that Hamilton wins all three of the home matchups. And that starts this Thursday. I know I've said this before. I think I said it before both the Elks and the Red Black game, but this truly feels like a season-altering game for the Ticats. Win, and I think this whole thing can get turned around. Lose, and I won't say the season is over, but it'll be hanging by the barest of threads, will it not? Yeah, if they lose this game, I might be thrown in the towel. And I've been pretty optimistic through the losses, um, especially lately the last couple. 
losses. You've been way more optimistic than me too. And usually th- that's the that's reversal of roles. I've been like, this team yeah. sucks and they're yeah. terrible. And you'd be like, you like tell me to, you know, calm yeah. my tits. But yeah, I have yeah. Been, which is very but odd th- for this, this show. Just, this this might be the one that breaks you if they lose this one. Yeah, a, a divisional game. You at drop home. to at home. You drop to one and six. Uh, yeah, if they lose this game, I might not completely be given up, but I'm like, you know, 90% there that this team isn't going to turn it around. This, this this has to be the turning point. I mean, it has to be. I said it last week that I thought that the, they'd play BC strong, and I thought that they might win that game. They came close, but now they have to start winning. And, and you know, they're playing all Eastern Division teams, and I know that, you know, it's been the weak division, obviously. We just have to win every single game. Not every single game, but we have to win as many games as we can in this stretch. And it still won't give me a ton of confidence because we still, at the end of the day, if we're in the Grey Cup, it's going to be against a Western team, right? And we have to find a way to beat the best teams in the league, but we can only play the teams that are in front of us. So let's just get a win and go from there. Man, you're already talking Grey Cup. Jeez, you are optimistic. (laughs) I will say this, on on the Grey Cup thing, we've seen a number of bad teams beat great teams in the Grey Cup. Ottawa, Toronto. So yeah. it's one game, anything. I mean, the Ticats were the prohibitive favorites in 2019. I got absolutely smoked. So one game, anything it, can happen. La, la, yeah. Well, last year, for instance, the Ticats nearly won the Grey Cup, despite the fact that Winnipeg is, was far and away the best team. So anything can happen in one game. But I, let's, not get, let's not talk Grey Cup quite just yet. Although I do love the optimism, buddy. I, I really, really do. What do you think they have to do in this? What's... We've seen we've seen them kind of curb the turnovers a little bit. I tur- see. I know that it said they had like five turnovers last game. Turnovers on downs are really a weird turnover for me because mm-hmm. sometimes they're turnovers and sometimes they're not. Because like if you have to go for it on third down and you don't succeed, that doesn't it doesn't rise to the same level as you throw a backbreaking interception in the third quarter when right. your team's trailing. You know what I mean? Like there's there's different levels mm-hmm. to turnover. I think so. I feel like they've got the turnover thing mostly under control. They had a really good game when it came to takeaways. Uh, they had a couple of interceptions off a really good quarterback. We know Trevor Harris is going to start this game. We know Danny McChoke is going to coach. This feels like a game that is very, very winnable. We Trevor Harris looked awesome against Ottawa. We know he tends to be a little up and down, right? So could this be kind of the down game for him? He doesn't tend to play, at least outside of Ottawa, hasn't tended to play uh, very well in Hamilton. So the what was it, last year's East semifinal, he was god-awful. So this this feels very winnable. But to you, what, what does the team have to do to get this W? They have to take advantage of their opportunities. They have to score touchdowns when they get to the red zone. The concern for this team all season long has, has been turnovers, and I feel like we turn a corner on that. Um, early on, the offensive line was a big problem. I feel like we fixed that problem. So our next problem is scoring touchdowns when you get in the red zone. So that's the next thing they have to fix. And if they fix that problem, I'm going to feel pretty darn good about this team. So my main thing, score touchdowns, not field goals. Yeah, I think there's something like four of 16 scoring touchdowns on red zone opportunities, and that's just way too. I think they're the worst in the league, worse than Ottawa, worse than Edmonton. They're the worst in the league at scoring touchdowns on the red zone opportunities. So, yeah, that that's a big thing. Continue to do – we've seen – and I know people hate Tommy Condell right now. He's everyone's favorite whipping boy, but we've seen him pull out some pretty impressive trick plays, the use of two quarterbacks – 
throwbacks across the field. Let's let's keep that going. I, I think that if they keep trying these innovative plays that that we didn't see at the start of the season, I think they can take advantage of a team like Montreal. I think Montreal's susceptible to the deep ball, which I, I would like to see this team. We've seen Stephen Dunbar get deep. We know Braylon Addison can get deep. We know Tim White is has speed to, to burn. I kind of want to see this team use the deep ball. Some of it will have to do with setting up the run, of course, but if they can take some deep shots and get chunk yardage, I know we, we talked earlier about how impressive that 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 seven and a half minute drive was. Give me a two and a half minute drive that's four plays long that ends in a in a forty yard touchdown pass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they need to start getting these chunk plays more frequently. And I think Montreal has been especially susceptible that to this, to, especially susceptible to that this year. I would like to see the the Ticats try to stretch the field in this one. I think that would be the key to them getting the win. And, and defensively, get more pressure. Get mm-hmm. more pressure on the quarterback. Uh, and I know that's you know a simplistic thing to say, but it but it's, it, it it has to happen. We have to get more pressure on quarterbacks, and especially a guy like Trevor Harris, who even his own teammates will admit that if he gets bumped, you know, if he gets roughed up, he's gonna falter. So make him uncomfortable, and he won't be the guy that he was last week against Ottawa. Because like you said, Trevor Harris, hot and cold kind of guy. When he's on, I don't think there's anyone more accurate. Or you know a better quarterback in this league, but when he's off, he's just terrible. So let's have an off night for him. I agree. When he's I and I think if you go back into the archives, maybe the first year we did the show, you know that Mike and I are not big Trevor Harris guys. But when he is on his game, he looks like he did in the 2018 East Final, where he throws three intercept three incompletions and six touchdown passes. Like mm-hmm. when he's playing his game and everything's working, he is damn near unstoppable. I think the biggest mistake the Owls are making in this one is not going back to Vernon Adams. And not because I think Trevor Harris has been bad, but because Vernon Adams brings a running threat that Harris doesn't and running quarterbacks kill this team. We saw it with Trey Ford. We saw it with Caleb Evans. We've, we've seen it with Zach Caleros, Cody Fajardo. Like, if you have a mobile quarterback, you can do some really good things against this team. They're going to play Harris, who's not a statue, but he's not exactly, you know, nimble with his feet. No. I, I think that, the, like you said, if you can hit him in the mouth a couple of times, even if you don't get sacks, but you just get that you're like a, a hair late or you hit him as he's throwing type of thing. And I think that will get into his head. And I think that's how they can, if, if the defense, and we've seen this defense play pretty well. I, I don't think we're going to see a huge drop-off from this defense this week. Getting Cario Brooks back, I think, would be a big thing. So, yeah, punch Trevor Harris in the mouth a couple times, metaphorically speaking, of course. And I, I think they come away with the win. I hope you're right. I, I You know, this uh, it's a Thursday nighter, and I know you're not a huge fan of those, but I guess you'll be at the game, so, and you don't have really, I mean, you have work, but it's, you know, you have to <laughs> get up super early. No, so, you're not. Yeah. So no, and that's why, we're doing, that's why we're doing the post-game show. So just a small yes. reminder, we will be, the game starts at 7.30, ends around 10.30. So probably around 11.15. It's going to be a late post-game show, but you and I are going to do a post-game show uh, after the Ticats and Alouettes game. We're going to discuss all the things we thought about the game, what we liked, what we didn't like. Hopefully we're discussing a win, but we'll see from here. Uh, but that that is the plan. And I don't believe, I think this is the last Thursday night game the Ticats play. I know they have another late game. I know they play uh, Calgary at like 930, but I think that that's, 
that's on a Friday. So that we might not do one that, but uh, yeah, this is the final Thursday night game of the season for the tie cat. So everything from here on out is Friday, Saturday, and of course, Labor Day Monday. So yeah, I think we, we may have, ha- we may have skipped our, our last week Calgary game, notwithstanding where we don't mm-hmm. do a post game show. So join us on, on Twitter after the game, we will obviously send out uh, a, a link to the, to the, sh- to the live stream. Uh, join us after the game to first talk about the owls and tie cats. So hopefully it's a win buddy, but we'll have to wait and see. Right. So that was pods community for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw. <laughs>